Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. This life is full of uncertainty. It seems that every day we hear the stories that make us feel that increasing uncertainty about what this life has to offer. Every day it seems that we get news of someone who's died way too young, way too early. We read of the senseless tragedies that are taking place all over the world, the acts of violence that seem to be becoming more and more frequent. And constantly we're threatened by those who beat the drums about thoughts of market volatility that threaten our financial security. And we sometimes go to the doctor and we'll receive that diagnosis that we'd never planned on, that we are caught off guard by, and we never thought that it would happen to us. Maybe to other people, but never to us. And we're just left with situations that are beyond our control to handle those things one day at a time, one moment at a time, not knowing the fate that awaits us in this life. You see, there's a lot about tomorrow that I don't understand. And can I be real honest with you today and tell you there's a lot about today that I don't understand. There's a lot about my past that I don't understand. I trust that you can identify with those statements today that there's a lot of things that maybe you've been through. Maybe there's some things that you're facing right now. Maybe there's some, some things that are pending on the horizon that you're not quite sure about, and those things are filling you with uncertainty. Let me tell you one of life's guarantees. It's the only guarantee I know in this world, and that is that Life is filled with uncertainty. But praise God, there's a word. There's a message. There's a truth that counterbalances all of that uncertainty. And if you're fearful about tomorrow, if you're fearful for the rest of this day, let me tell you, I have come with good news today. Though tomorrow may be uncertain as far as we can see with the natural eye, tomorrow has been forever settled as eternity is concerned through the finished work of Calvary and it has been validated by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we sang earlier, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. Let me tell you, we don't have a lot in this life that we can put stock in. We don't have a lot of things in this life that we can stand sure and affirmed of, but this one thing we have as an anchor of our hope, he is risen. You want to know why Easter's a big deal? Why we're so excited? Why everybody gets up and comes to church with a smile on their face on Easter, summer, Easter Sunday? I can summarize the significance of Easter with simply three words. He is risen. 
He is risen. He is risen. We are here today to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As I said earlier, I want to point your attention to the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. And Paul there writes one of the most powerful thesis concerning the resurrection of Christ and the inherent promises and the power that are associated with his resurrection. It's a, it's a subject matter that if we fully grasp will cause us to look at our greatest fears and the uncertainty of life with the realization that it really doesn't matter how uncertain this life is, our eternity is sure in Christ Jesus. The temporary may be uncertain, but the eternal is forever settled. The eternal and therefore the more important is forever settled. I just want to stop here for a minute and just assure some of you that the things that you're facing right now that seem so problematic, that are causing you so much stress and so much anxiety, they're only temporary. They're, they're only fleeting. It's not a permanent issue. One day, when all of this is over, if we are, have been made alive in Christ Jesus, if we have received his free gift of grace, one day we will stand and we will look back at the troubles of this life and we will say, troubles? What troubles? Aching body? What aching body? Financial straits? What trouble? It's all gone. Today I want you to leave here with the assurance about tomorrow that agrees with that of the psalmist who said this, We will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surge. We will not fear. Because he lives, all fear is gone. So, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus wasn't just your garden variety, run-of-the-mill, average martyr. For those of you who may not understand what a martyr is, it's someone who gives their lives for their cause. And let me tell you, history is full of martyrs. There are a lot of people who have died for different causes and different movements and for very good reasons. Some of them, I mean, our, our landscape is, 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 is full of memorials and tombs of people who have laid down their lives for the freedom of this country. There are great leaders of the past, like such as the Dr. Kings of the world, that have given their lives for a great cause, for equality. And as great as all of those people are, and as much as we appreciate their sacrifice, can I tell you that as far as martyrdom goes, Jesus Christ stands in a class all his own. There's no other like him. Paul writes here and says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, and that he raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. As I said, there are a lot of people who have died for their cause. There's only one who has been resurrected. 
to guarantee the validity of his work. There's only one. And let me tell you this today. Any teaching or understanding of the gospel that leaves Jesus Christ on a cross or in a tomb is, is incomplete. Paul said he died for our sins and he was buried and that on the third day he raised again. He was raised again. You see, Paul had been preaching the resurrection of Christ, as had others in that day. And it appeared that some in Paul's day were questioning the validity of the gospel's boast of the resurrection of Christ and even arguing against it. And you may be here today, and you may be in church today because your mom's here, your dad's here, or some family member's here, or just because you feel some compulsion to be in church because it's Easter. And maybe you don't fully ascribe to the thought that a man was nailed to a cross, that he truly did die, and that three days later he was raised again. Well, I want to offer you some of the same evidences that Paul offered to the Corinthian church. We, if we continue this passage down in verse 5, it begins this way. Paul is talking about the resurrection of Christ. And he says, and after that, he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living. In other words, Paul says, hey, if you don't want to take my word for it, ask somebody. Ask somebody. There's 500 brothers and sisters going around this place, most of them who are still alive, who saw him firsthand. Maybe you don't want to receive our report. Maybe you think the disciples are running some kind of agenda. But ask one of the 500 Ask one of them and you'll have 499 more to corroborate their testimony. It's real. Paul continues and says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one born abnormally. He said, Ask James. Or believe my testimony. I was on the way to Damascus with letters empowering me to arrest those who were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ when suddenly there shone a light around me brighter than the noonday sun and a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul offers these evidences as to say, listen, there's, there's more than enough proof to show you that Jesus is alive. And then Paul underscores the importance of the resurrection. We drop down to verse 16 and Paul says this. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And let me tell you something, church. You and I should wail and grieve at the thought. If there's any doubt in your mind whatsoever that Jesus Christ is not risen, then throw all caution to the wind and let anxiety take you over because there is no hope. Paul says if, Christ is, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. 
and you are still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. And then Paul makes this statement, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You know, there's some people that would say of us church folks, well, religion's a crutch. It's for the weak and the feeble-minded. Those of us who are intellectually strong, we have other things that we stand upon, that we've built our life on. We have logic and reason and all of those things, and we understand the evolutionary process, and we're just more developed and learned than the rest of you. And they feel sorry for us. Well, I feel sorry for them. Because when the end comes, their logic and their reason isn't going to stand up before the judgment of God. When the end comes, their evolutionary process is going to be seen as the lie that it is as they stand before the creator of the world to give an account for their lives. But if we are seated in a church this morning and the only hope we have of Jesus is just to have a little help me to get through the troubles of this life, then we of all people are most to be pitied. But that's not where the story ends. Let me read on. Paul continues in this line of reason here in verse 30 and he says as for us why do we endanger ourselves every hour i face death every day yes just as surely as i boast about you in christ jesus our lord if i have fought the wild beast in ephesus with no more than human hopes what have i gained if the dead are not raised let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die paul says i'm out here sharing and suffering for the sake of the gospel. If you read other places in the scripture, Paul didn't ride around in a Rolls Royce. He didn't fly all over the world in a Learjet. He didn't have any airtime, and he didn't wear a $1,200 suit. Neither do I, consequently. Just wanted to clear that up. But he suffered for the gospel's sake. You've got to understand there wasn't one of those who were nearest to Jesus that didn't give their lives for the sake of the gospel, who weren't martyred, who weren't killed in some of the most violent and awful ways imaginable. Some were beheaded, some were crucified. There's legend that John was boiled in hot oil. Because he believed this gospel, I want to challenge you with the thought today. If they didn't know it was real, why would they have done it? If they weren't sure that they had encountered a resurrected King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then why would they have done it? And I'm telling you today, that if I didn't believe it was true, I would fold my Bible, leave this pulpit, and never come again. 
but I know he's alive. I know what he's done for me. I know the transformation. I know the change. I know the way that he walks with me. I know that he's alive in me. For the spread of the gospel, though, Paul says, I have endangered my life. Others have endangered their lives every day to be sure that others know the truth of the gospel. And the reason for Paul's effort and sacrifice is because the gospel is real and it's effective. And every claim made by Jesus and every prophecy about Jesus is validated by an empty tomb. Now, I'm not trying to discredit the work of the cross. I'm not, nor the suffering of Jesus Christ. But if Jesus simply suffered and died on the cross, and the, then, then the cross and the garden tomb are merely symbolic. And we can still truly say, Jesus loves me. Because he did die for us. He did give his life for us. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And we've spent weeks now recounting Jesus' love for us and the ways that that love is manifest. But the truth of the matter is, without the resurrection, then they are no more than the benevolent acts of a friend. Yes, they're kind. We might even classify them as extravagant. But ultimately, they're a life wasted and cut short for a cause that was needless. But the resurrection guarantees all the things that we've been talking about for the last several weeks, that he does heal us, that he did give his life for us, that we are free in Jesus. We have been forgiven our sins, and we have a hope of a glorious eternity in him. What Paul is effectively saying here is that If we claim to be followers of Christ and his experience only led to the grave, then the grave is as far as we can follow him. And if we're sacrificing to follow him and it all ends in death, then what's the point? If Jesus is still in the grave, then there's no guarantee that he was who he claimed to be and we can have no assurance of anything. But Jesus gave this sign. How many of you have ever prayed and asked for a sign? I have. I've prayed and said, oh, God, Lord Jesus, if you would. How many of you ever prayed that prayer? Come on, be honest. You bunch of doubting Thomases, you And now you're in here lying on top of it. You know you've prayed that prayer. We want a sign. We, we want to know. We want to see something. In John's gospel, he records Jesus was teaching, and some of the people came to him and said, the Jews came to him and said, well, what sign? You're making all these promises and all these great claims about who you are and you're the son of God and you can do this and you're promising that. Well, what sign do you offer? And Jesus said, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. 
See, the Jews mocked him then because they thought he was speaking about a building that had taken teams of people 46 years to build. They didn't understand that the temple he was talking about was his body. And he said to him, listen, the thing that I'm going to do that's going to guarantee that every promise I've made is ironclad is you're going to destroy this temple and I'm going to raise it up in three days. In three days. Friday came, they crucified my Lord. They buried his body in a borrowed tomb. But on the dawning of that third day, the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out of that tomb, raised to life again, guaranteeing every promise that he made. You know, we say that the stone was rolled away and Jesus came out. I'm not sure if that's how it happened or not. For all I know, he came out and then the stone was rolled away. Because the stone wasn't rolled away for him to come out. The stone was rolled away for us to be able to see in and see that his promise is sure and his promise is true and that he is risen. <laughs> now, not only is Jesus' resurrection the validating part of the gospel message, it's the guarantee of the promise. The promise is an eternity spent with him in heaven. And Paul, during the course of this message to the Corinthian friends, uh, his Corinthian friends identifies Jesus as something called the first fruits. First, of course, indicates that there's more to follow. Why else would you designate something the first? Because there's going to be some more to follow, to follow suit. And those that are to follow are those who have died in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, too often we simply think of our lives in terms of when we're born and when we die. And those are the bookends by which we confine our existence. But our existence cannot be limited to a simple matter of life and death. Yes, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Well, Jesus said the rocks would cry out if we didn't praise him. I don't know why he couldn't manipulate a little technology, right? Come on now, I'm sharing good word this morning. Don't make the cell phone cry out for you. I'm so sorry. But if your phone rings, you are fair game to my wit. <laughs> Paul makes it clear in the closing verses of, of this 15th chapter that those who died in Christ can have an expectation that one day there's going to be a resurrection and a glorious reunion of body and soul. He writes this, and we begin reading in verse 51. It's a lengthy passage. Would you follow along with me here and read in your, in your text as well? Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead in Christ will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible is put on incorruption and this mortal is put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. <laughs> Glory to God. He is risen, church. Our labor, our service, our love for him is not in vain. He has guaranteed our future. He loves us. He loves us so much he said, you need a sign, I'll give you a sign. One of the few times in scripture that Jesus says, okay, I'll give you a sign. It'll be like Jonah, three days in the deep. And then resurrected again. You see, earlier in this passage, Paul had explained something and he says, Hey, what you expect to spring up is not what you sow. You don't sow a tree expecting a tree to grow, you sow a seed. And the seed falls into the ground and dies and bears something else of its kind and Paul said we're gonna sow something that's perishable this body statistically speaking given enough time ten out of every ten persons dies because we're perishable we have a shelf life. We have an expiration date. Hebrews chapter 9 says it is appointed once to a man to die. There's a time coming for all of us. But can I tell you today the thing that is of consequence is not the fact that we're perishable. The thing that's important and the thing that is of real and true consequence is that we will be raised imperishable because our Lord has been raised and is glorified and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We are corruptible, but we will be sown in corruption and raised incorruptible, Paul says, in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, and you say, Pastor, what does that look like? And the answer is, I don't know. Paul said it was a mystery. John wrote this way, he says this, Beloved, now we're all children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's my hope. That's my hope today. And if we reject Christ... Listen to this, that doesn't mean that our bodies are just simply going to stay dead. 
See, there's some of us that we have, we've grown up with this, we've heard the gospel message, and we've understood in part the gospel message whether or not we've received it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. Okay, so if I accept Jesus, I can live forever, right? And somehow or another, we just feel like that either we receive Christ and we expect heaven as our home, or we opt out. But let me tell you, there's, a, there's another side to that story. There's a flip side of that coin. And inasmuch as we've been talking about a glorious expectation that is guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I want to tell you something. There's a terrible fate that awaits those that will deny him. Paul has told us that those who die in Christ Jesus can expect one day to be resurrected, the, the mortal to put on immortality, the cor corruptible to put on incorruption, and there we will ever be like him and we'll be with him. John gives us another story. In Revelation chapter 20, we read this. After all of the sainted dead have been raised, the, rap, the, the existing church has been raptured, everybody's gone home to be with Jesus, and that judgment has already been taken care of. The wheat and the tares have been separated. And we who are in Christ are enjoying the splendors of heaven. John says this, and I saw the dead Remember, the sainted dead are already gone, so these are those who have died without Christ. These are those who have sat under gospel sermons just like you're hearing today, who've heard the message of the old rugged cross and the Jesus who loves them and have said no thanks. And they have spurned the love of Jesus and they've turned their back on the truth of his word and time and again, they've rejected him. This is those. These are those. He says, I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. And by the things which were written in the books... And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And you're here on Easter Sunday, and it may be the first time you've been to church since last Easter or Christmas, somewhere in that range. But I'm really glad you're here today. And I don't say this condescending. And I don't stand here and pose myself to be any better than anyone else. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Amen. 
And without the goodness and mercy of Jesus Christ, I am lost and I am undone. And I'm as blind as the next guy. But Jesus loves you. And through his resurrection, he not only wants to extend to the church the guarantee of a glorious future, but he wants to extend to you that same hope today as well. Maybe you're here today, maybe you're watching online, however that works out. It doesn't matter, God's no respecter of time or place. He's here with us. He can be there with you. And I don't know what life is offering you right now. It may be filled with hardship and pain. And I don't want to mislead you today. I wouldn't misguide you in any bit and tell you that all of that's going to change overnight just because you would come to an altar and pray a prayer. I just simply want to challenge you with this, that Jesus Christ wants to offer you the assurance of an eternity that is so grand and so glorious that Paul wrote to his friends in Rome and said this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And I plead with you today that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, He died for you, same as He did for me. He suffered for you, just like He did for me. He paid the price for your sins, the same as He did for mine. He loves you today just as much as he loves me. Please don't reject him. Please don't turn your back on him. As we saw earlier in the video when he was in the garden and he was praying, he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In other words, Jesus says, I'm not going to turn my back on them. I'm not going to abort the mission. I really wish there was another way, but I'm not going to give up on them. I want to invite you to stand all across this sanctuary today. I'm going to ask our altar team to ready themselves this morning. very simply in this moment with every head bowed and every eye closed 
I want to extend to you this very simple invitation. If you've ever heard this gospel and you thought it was complex, then you've misunderstood the gospel. John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we shall be saved. And for you today, I just want to challenge you with this thought. Jesus died for you. Would today be the day that you begin to live for Him? That you surrender sin, that you surrender guilt, that you surrender shame, and you receive the free gift of His forgiveness. Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, if you would just slip a hand up wherever you are and say pastor I want you to pray with me I want to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today if you would like more information about Faith Assembly please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org thanks again for joining us and we hope you have a blessed day